Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, your co-host, Mackenzie Koss. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Christian Brown, CMO of Gluey, and recently featured on Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Welcome, Christian. We're so excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. So being named on Forbes 30 Under 30, quite an honor. Uh, we would love to hear first how that came to be. I called them on the phone and I was like, how do I get on? They're like, oh, we'll just we'll just write your name on the list. So it's that easy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it's a really funny story where it was always like this concept and this idea and, and it existed. And we knew that uh, a few friends of ours that were like doing extraordinary things had been named in the past. And it was kind of just like, wow, you know, that felt worlds and worlds away. And rewind to last summer spending time in New York City, actually working on a project with a few um, creators that are on our platform. And a good friend of mine, um, ginormous, amazing uh, advocate in the space of mental health named Gigi Robinson. She was like, wow, Chris, you know what? Like the 30 under 30 applications are coming out. You should submit. And I said to her, I was like, really? Like, why do you say so? She said, I don't know. Like, you guys are doing great work. Um, you're really like pioneering this space and and creating amazing things. I said, you know what? Like, thank you very much. That was very, like, kind hearted of her to say. And I said, Gigi, like, let's, yeah, send me all the info. And so there's an application period, um, which everyone listening should definitely look into. It happens around the end of the summertime. And so with that, um, you just go through a pretty typical, like, form fill out um, on the Forbes website. And then from there, um, radio silence. So we like, filled it out one day. And it, I was just sitting there on my computer. and. It was like, oh, can you do like a joint fill out? There are like different variations. And so um, I grabbed one of my best friends, uh, our founder's CEO, Dylan. I was like, yo, um, we're going to apply for this. He's like, yeah, cool, do it. Right. And so we just like sent in the application and like a couple months go by. And simultaneously, while all this is happening, um, both Dylan and myself are, are contributors to the Forbes Business Council. And so um, we create different articles, write about the creator economy business, stuff of that caliber. And so one day he came out, he's like, hey, you know, like, um, I just got an email from Forbes, like, oh, maybe it has to do with the article or something. And so we look at it, and then they had a bunch of statistics on us. And I'm like, oh, this is very unique. The uh, editorial team is doing a deep dive. I wonder for what? And we look over it. It's like, yep, the all these stats are correct. Um, some of the usage stats from the time that it was recorded to the time in the present moment were a little different. So I was like, oh, let's just update them and increase them to the current value stats. So we just kind of responded, hey, our user base has now grown X percent to this number. And we just said, yep, all looks good. Back to radio silence. We didn't think anything of it. And then around the beginning of December or so, uh, maybe like second week of December, around Christmas time, I was like getting in my car. It was 8, 12 in the morning. I remember it on the dot. And I sat down in my car to drive to the office. And my friend Gigi, from the beginning of the story in New York City, uh, she texted me in all caps. And she was like, OMG, congrats. I said, oh, good morning. And she was like, Gigi, um, I might have missed something here. Congrats for what? And she's like, all caps, like <laughs> as if she's screaming into the phone. She says, you made the list. I was like, Gigi, I know you have my number saved. We've been friends for a while. Like, I just don't, are you texting the wrong Chris? Like, what's going on here? And then she just sends me a screenshot and it says like Forbes 30 under 30 marketing advertising. It was Dylan and I's face. And I remember that it was 8, 12 in the morning because the phone fell from my hand onto the floor in such awe and shock and like every emotion ever. 
So I immediately call my mom. I was like, hey, can you check if this link is legit? Like, can you just Google something for me? She's like, yeah, yeah. And she checks it. And then I hear her go, oh, my goodness. And then I opened up my email. There was the honorary, like, welcome to the 30 under 30 community. So instead of there being this big lead up and, you know, rising action, it was kind of just like climax. Um, and then from there, weeks later, there was an <laughs> event in the city for the launch. So we flew out for that. Um, they invited to a Slack channel with like previous members slash class of 23 members. Um, and they kind of treat it a little bit like a university experience or it's class of, and it's a cool community and great resources. And I met so many fantastic people through it. It's just been, it's been incredible. Yeah. What a remarkable affirmation of the work you've put in. Can you talk about how, uh, if anything has changed since that experience? Has it has it been a watershed moment for you in your career? I think for some people, like the immediate answer would say yes, but for me, not entirely. It was kind of just like, yes, it is an accolade. And yes, it's, it's great for, let's say like a personal portfolio of sorts. And like to think about in, in an internalized way, but like it didn't change me whatsoever in the work that I do or if anything, it motivated us to do even better because now we're looking at it. We're like, well, we've already set the bar at where it's at and whatever level of the bar people identify that at. We're like, well, we put the bar really high, really quick. So the gas is on and we need jet fuel now. Like instant climax. Yeah, we need to keep going. It's like, let this let this be the rising action. Um, so it was it was very, very busy for the first few weeks. And so we understood, you know, and going back to the whole idea of being marketers, advertisers, it's like, how do we use this um, in a validating sense to prove the work that we've done has gotten us to this point and to prove that the teams and foundations we've laid have been validated by people like the community of 30 under 30 and stuff of that caliber. But at the end of the day, it's just another reason to just keep going harder at all points of every day. And so it's been a great driver and and our team loves it because we always joke, we're like, all right, well, if we take a day off, how are we going to get 30 under 30? It's like, they're, okay, we can't do that. We need to keep going. Nice. Uh, let's shift gears and let's talk about Gluey. Can you talk about the impetus to start this company and maybe what the social media influencer landscape was like when you first sort of concocted this idea? Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go in a little time warp here back to the... 2016 era or so when I found myself and I, I think the number would be 85% of people I interacted with on a daily basis were pretty much all foundationally connected through social media. I grew up in Massachusetts, um, spent a lot of time in New York, went to school in Chicago, and towards the beginning of college, started spending a lot of time in Los Angeles, where I then met one of my best friends, founder CEO of Bluey, Dylan Duke. And so at the time, we had all met through Instagram and like, it was just kind of these like different friend groups or different chats going on or people knew people. And, and during this era was some of the first times that friends of ours, people that were also 17, 18, 19, 20 had surpassed that million follower mark, whether it's on YouTube um, or Instagram, this is very pre TikTok. This is like just post vine. So it was post vine. It was mid Snapchat, but obviously Instagram was the dominant of the socials. Facebook had already phased out after like 2014, 15 or so. And everyone was focusing on static imagery on Instagram and then YouTube videos for YouTube. And so some of our friends were fantastic. Um, they were breaking the million mark, then breaking the two, three million mark. And at the time, three million followers, that was a, a club of people. There was only a couple hundred of them. And outside of your Cristiano Ronaldo's, your Selena Gomez's, Justin Bieber's, et cetera, like real personalities. And so Seeing some of our friends be in that position, it, it was 
quite incredible. And so you'd go from like hanging out at the house to like going and getting groceries. And it was like, you're getting groceries with Leonardo DiCaprio because anyone that's under a specific age range, depending on said creator or niche is now a real life celebrity. Like I'm talking photos everywhere. Every step you take, like the Grove in LA, if we went to go shopping or whatever, every few steps you'd see someone that was maybe was younger. <laughs> but if you're, if you're going to the Grove, you're going to be looked at a little and you, bit. And you'd get the eyes, right? You can see the eyes. And as the eyes glare and they lock on to someone in our group, it would just be like, oh, no, the photo's coming, right? I would take the photo. My, all our, it was just like kind of a part of what we were doing. And so during this time when there were like these beginning level of internet and um, Instagram and YouTube creators that were deemed these like mega influencers, there was also a lot of brands working with them. Um, and so as this progressed through like 2017, 2018, we spent an immense amount of time working alongside different creator friends, maybe ones that were climbing from the 100K to the million mark. So growing those pages and figuring out exactly what we need to do from a business setting to set them up for success. And then obviously people that had a million plus, a lot of times were starting to work with your RCAs and your CAAs and the massive labels. And then there was a, a, a large shift in monetization between those that had representation from a label management or agent perspective and those that didn't. Um, and so that kind of opened our eyes to a lot of what was going on is that what really happens at that management and agent level is the injection of business acumen, um, the knowledge of this space, whether it's contractually or networking wise, et cetera, down to the connections and the the ability to call the CMO of Nike and say, hey, we want to do an Instagram campaign. Um, and then on the flip side, those that didn't have that representation, people with millions of followers were unable to pay their rent. And so there's this large shift of like, well, the numbers are all the same because the impression count, the true influence, the engagement rates, they were all in similar ballparks, though those that didn't have the tools necessary were enabled to monetize at a larger scale level. And if those creators couldn't monetize, well, that trickle down effect would go all the way down to creators wanting to join the creator economy and get into influencer marketing and monetizing their following. And so experience in that realm um, from a very business side of things on that brand and agent side, having exposure to that allowed us to really mature and grow up in this space quite quickly. And then being able to take a lot of that and translate it back to different groups of friends or people we worked with at the time in Los Angeles or really all over the country um, and saying like, hey, this is what's going on here and how it worked in New York was different than it worked in LA. And then how it worked in London was substantially different because they were a few months behind everything else. And so were the trends. And so we were really bouncing around like during that 18 year old to 22 year old college era, like anytime we had free time, we're going everywhere, like all over the world, basically. And just, I was like, I was like sleeping on the floor or couches of like friends I met on Instagram. Uh, and it was really just like, that was my internship. Um, there was no structure to it at all. It was just a very like self-taught, I don't know, school sabbatical per se. And it was just that forever and ever and ever. And we always knew like, continue to grow these relationships, continue to grow the understanding and the foundation. And then that led us into launching and creating the Gluey platform. And what, uh, what is the Gluey platform? What's the, the, you know, the elevator pitch of what Gluey solves for? Uh, Gluey is an exclusive creator marketplace. It's also a double-sided marketplace for both brands and creators. And so on the creator side, influencers, creators, pretty symbiotic there. 
Uh, there's a minimum follower count to apply and become admitted into our platform. Once creators are admitted in, uh, they can authenticate their accounts. They can set their portfolio. They can identify their rates per post type. So let's say you want $500 for an Instagram feed post. That's attached to your portfolio and profile. Uh, from there, they set their bio, profile picture, intro video, et cetera. They can then browse a feed of live campaigns deployed by brands of all sizes, calibers, industries, niches, et cetera. And if they qualify based on location, age, gender, minimum follower count, engagement rate, and category, they have the ability to apply directly in app to be a part of that campaign. From there, and brands launch those campaigns as well. From there, all interactions between the communication to the contract generation and signing to creating the content and submitting it for approval and then the brand approving it and then actually deploying those posts to social media all happens through our ios application for creators and then upon post going live let's say a tiktok video promoting a specific cpg brand item well then that url link gets injected back into our platform and we have the business partnerships with all of the big five socials so we're eligible to see all the data associated with those posts pull that into our platform, display that onto dashboards, and in turn, give brands the end-to-end, start-to-finish experience in the easiest and fastest way to do influencer marketing. Dang, we just got to my floor. That was a great pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Nick. Um, It's really awesome uh, because I I can imagine there was a time when there was so much uh, uncertainty between both influencer to brand and brand to influencer. I'm sure there was a lot of head scratching going, how do we get an influencer that we want that's going to target the right audience? And on the same side, how do we, you know, if I'm an influencer, how do I approach brands or what? I'm sure there was so much mystery there on both sides. And probably people were undervaluing themselves or, you know, like unable to start or even you know, approach these issues with confidence. It feels like you guys provide a confidence for both sides to to really be like a leg up on people who maybe don't have this platform. Yeah, absolutely. And that in itself is the essence of the value we strive to create for both our brands and creator users. And so like on our side, from the creation, the app dev, um, the UI, the UX, the actual value portion of things, we look at both of our user types and then we identify what are the wants and needs. And so on the creator side, we have that really dialed in because they really are the wants and needs of everybody around us. And so surveying um, user feedback, a lot of that got streamlined in the very beginning. And we knew something like accessible content calendars, signing contracts in app, being able to message with brands, being able to track success. A lot of those were the foundation table stake items that we went to market with. And then since then, we've even come out with incredible features that are very data heavy. So we are able to show a creator, well, on Instagram, 32% of your following is male and 68% is female. And then of that, the likes and interests of the male are A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And of the female, 82% are in the US and then the remaining 18% are elsewhere. And so everything from a socio down to an ethnographic, down to a demographic level per social channel, we've been able to collect that data, curate it and display it in a way that's easily digestible um, at all kind of education levels or understandings of you know visual data. And then from there, give that to the creator just as users of our platform and say, hey, look, this is these are the stats like this is under the hood. 
Um, we have this data, we want to give it to you and you can use this on platform, obviously off platform, however you want, you can export this and use this in a pitch elsewhere because we want to empower creators to just have whatever tools and resources necessary that we can supply to them. We just want to give them to them, give that to them because that's the value that we want to bring to the creator economy. Can you think of any example where uh, your instincts to start Gluey as a platform were completely affirmed by an interaction either on the brand side or the creator side that really made you go like, yeah, this is a good service that we're offering? So I think it even goes, it, it preludes that and it goes back to the stories in Los Angeles where um, Dylan has a fantastic story where a friend of ours had call it 1.5 million followers. And he was saying that he was really struggling to buy a plane ticket. And we looked at it and we said, well, have you checked your email lately? I said, no. And I'm pretty sure that it's like, well, there's a bunch of brands in your inbox asking to give you $30,000 for a feed post. You just have to kind of respond. Yes. Um, and so that was kind <laughs> of like the foundation, the, the prelude to it all. And then after that, um, we have creators on our platform that have made thousands and thousands of dollars and they've reached out to us because a lot of our power users, we like to create relationships with all of our users and at scale, 10,000 plus, it's a little difficult with a small team. We're doing everything in our power to do so. But we've talked to a lot of our users that have done an array of different brand deals through our platform. And they said that the money that they've made on Gluey has helped them do amazing things, whether it's pay their rent or buy new equipment or go get a new video camera. Uh, and so being able to see them reinvest those funds and and actually allow them to be better creators in the long term, that really warms our heart. And then on the brand side, we have brands that come to us and a large issue of theirs is we can't find influencers to work with. And it's not that they can't find the right ones. They've said that they don't even know where to begin looking. Are they going to DM people? Are they going to email them? <laughs> They're going to email them. How do they find these emails? Back to the story in Los Angeles, maybe people don't necessarily check every email. So yeah. multiple brands have come on our platform and we've done it live with them when we launched the first campaign. We say, hey, let's launch a campaign. We're going to spend, let's call it $200 per creator for one TikTok video. You guys are going to own all of the UGC. It's going to be accessible through the platform. You know, the, the typical walkthrough. Mm -hmm. We said, ready, let's stay on for five minutes longer and watch. So we launch it. And then every creator that qualifies in real time gets the push notification to their phone that they can apply for this deal. And so they, we went back and we said, refresh. And in a matter of one minute, there was like 27 or so creators that had applied to work with them. And they were like, so... You didn't, you guys didn't touch anything. We said, no, no, you did. You launched the campaign and the speed in which the technology is working and the way humans are, there are creators that want to work for your brand. And we said, these are all female creators with a minimum of X amount of TikTok followers that want to be a part of a sunglasses campaign. Um, and so that was really cool. We've done that multiple times and it's just cool to see people's eyes really like glow when they see that the platform itself works in in such ways and it, it's super validating for us because it's like yeah you know sometimes you kind of when you're in it so much and you're always thinking of user stories and new features and how we're going to market it and what we're going to do to continue building client relations sometimes you forget about the value that you're actually bringing to the market and to see it from that bird's eye view is like i don't know it's like christmas every day yeah that's awesome you're like bridging the gap 
between yeah, that, companies? Yeah, that was our old tagline, bridging the gap and, between brands oh, and okay. Can I ask you about the name and how that name came to be? Because I feel like tech names always have unique stories. Yeah, absolutely. And ours falls under that bucket. Going back, Mackenzie, to what you just mentioned as bridging the gap, unless there's like a physical structure to bridge typical things like the two parties, brands and creators, agencies and influencers, however you want to say it, we also want to be an adhesive technology platform, you know, sticking together two parties, as well as platforms having stickiness for retention. Um, and so we came up with Glue, G-L-E-W. And so that was the V1. And from there, we began going to market with that. And then we always wanted a second syllable. Um, and then luckily enough, glue is, there's a bunch of other glues out there, whether it's mechanics or uh, a different data firm. And so we said, you know, what? we don't even want to move forward too far with this. We want to set ourselves apart. And we wanted to have the challenge of there being nothing behind the letters themselves, so G-L-E-W-E-E, upon search, there that doesn't exist. And so we said, let's let's go with this. It's two syllables. We like it. It derives from glue, which derives from the adhesive between brands and creators. And there's no SEO at all. So let's put our the challenge on us to build a world around a word. And so that's been one of the most fun things from the marketing standpoint, is that everything that exists out there can come back to the nucleus of what we've done. Can you talk about the evolution of Gluey and how it is now changed into a B2B model and how that process has gone? That's been one of the, the more fun and strenuous processes of them all. So when we speak about evolution, especially in our sense, we're ever evolving. And so at every point of every day during the workday, we are working on new iterations, new functionality, new features, whether they're vast and large or down to a very microcosm level. Uh, and so with that constant evolution, I think that's been one of the most fun parts about starting from the sticky notes to where we're at is because right out the, the gate, we went with a, an agile two-week sprint method. And so every two weeks, we would all get together and myself and other members of the ideation leadership team, we work way ahead. And so we say, okay, in six weeks, we're going to start this sprint and it's going to be this. And so from sticky note to MVP was a bunch of sprints, let's call it 28 or so. And so every two weeks, it's like, all right, now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do that. Now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do that. And so the app itself evolved from very much like beginning prototypes that were mocked up, not even in Figma, but like in Photoshop, truly, um, and on drawing. And then we put them together with like the most basic iconography you could ever imagine. Uh, and then we had the luxury of hiring like one of the greatest UI UX designers I've ever met in my entire life, um, who has really changed the game for us on an, uh, an experience level. But we've evolved as a platform from offering bare bones what we needed to or what we could create in the time we had to get our MVP to market. And then from there, we've introduced everything like the data capability capabilities that I was talking about, a whole UGC marketplace to keep up with what's going on in the industry, asset libraries for brands to hold and, and download all their content, enhanced chat functional capabilities. And we really looked at like our pillars of functionality and said, how can we make this better, both with user feedback, with testing, with understanding, and then with just being intuitive. And so that led us into this year, 2023, where we knew that we needed to go down an approach that was a little more B2B focused on the brand side. And so last year we had um, a freemium-esque model where brands could come in, transact on our marketplace, and there was a transaction fee per interaction. Uh, and so that felt 
unique in a lot of ways because brands that wanted high usage, well, they were getting hit on the fee every single time. And so we looked at it and we said, well, what if we went down a subscription model route? And so we evaluated it. We felt as if it was best for the business. And we moved forward with creating three different subscription service tiers for our brands. So on the creator side, it will always be free to use and free to utilize. Though on the brand side, we do offer subscriptions and it's unlimited campaigns. It's very, very, very low fees that batch in with our Stripe is our powered payment processing uh, partner and a few other things there. But we've been able to reduce a lot of the friction on that side and offer this to brands to scale with unlimited functionality, unlimited usage of our platform to work with influencers, to deploy campaigns, and to scale it up from 10 creators to 100 creator campaigns, all with that. So it's been quite an interesting transition because in a freemium model, the marketing, um, the messaging, the whole ideology behind user acquisition is a lot different. And so it kind of felt like for us, we had to mature up really quick. We spent a lot of time in our marketing team that I lead, there's five of us. And so we sat down like a classroom and we said, let's learn B2B every night, learn on B2B. What does that mean? How do the best do it, right? What is product-led growth and how does it really work? And so it was a big transition for us, both in a learning in an execution and an implementation phase, but it, that's been the most fun challenge that we've been facing since I'd say origination. That's awesome. I love how it just all kind of melds together and goes back to your guys' name because you're bridging everything together and kind of piecing it together. Um, Because I know the digital world is ever-changing and companies are trying to keep up with that, which I feel like you are the middleman of helping them continue to evolve as things change, especially, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. platform is the, the next thing. Um, and kind of going off of that, as far as bridging the gap and being the gluey that holds marketers, creatives, um, and the brands together, I'm sure there can be moments of tug of war or even tension. How do you guys step in as a team to kind of help through with that? Or do you guys are pretty hands-off in that realm? So as a traditional SaaS platform, the rule would say to just stay out of it. Okay. But then when we look at it from on, like on a microscope perspective, if there are issues that are happening with brands or creators, where we identify that, right? Like we we can see it all happening in real time from our modes. Mm-hmm. But like to us, there's always going to be a deeper meaning. And there's always going to be functionality that we can relate the problems back to. And so what we are very focused on is understanding every possible user flow that could go incorrect between a brand and a creator. And then from there, we can relate it back to, is it communication? Well, if so, is it expectation versus reality? If so, we want to get every piece of Intel data on that by talking to the brand, talking to the creator, resolving the problem as a team, coming together to make sure that the solution is met from all sides and all parties. And then from there, going back to the drawing board and saying, well, okay, you can't use a sample size of one, maybe it's user error, or maybe lack of notification awareness, or whatever it may be on either side. But when these things start to bubble up, now we sit back and we look, we say, well, let's say there were five different situations over the past month or whatever the timeline is, and all of them had to do with a communication error. 
we want to be on the front line of that to ensure that we are here to like cultivate those authentic relationships between the brands and creators. But we want to be able to solve that from the get-go. So at scale, this this doesn't scale. So yeah, we do. We're pretty anti-tradition there where we do want to be as involved as possible. That's awesome. And I think that speaks volumes to who you guys are as a brand and kind of helping it through the entire finish line. Even if there are bumps along the way, you're willing to step in and kind of have people meet in the middle because at the end of the day, I feel like from what you've shared and correct me if I'm wrong, you're it's a human first interaction that you're bringing mm-hmm. that brand and then whoever the right creator or creators are to make sure that they're speaking or displaying, you know, whether it's TikTok or anything, their brand in the way that they want, because sometimes they don't know what, you know, some brands don't know what they want, but you're able to present them like, this is what this campaign could look like. These are the kind of people that are, you know, your ideal avatar, if you will, to represent you as the brand. Yep. And with that, I will say that there's always going to be questions, no yeah. matter what, <laughs> when you go human first in technology <laughs> and you don't go, you, when you put technology in the middle of parties, I should say, compared yeah. to being a, a solution to a single individual user or team's problems. Well, now you are basically the house or the restaurant where these people are coming to. And if there's yeah. disagreements, they're still disagreeing at your restaurant. In our case, it's on our platform. But like in a literal setting, there is a sense of responsibility that must be accounted for and taken. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if you're disregarding it, it's just going to go up in flames. Um, And so and we've had so many interactions that have slipped by us just because the brand or creator didn't bring it all the way up to us. And so we try to look at every single interaction and solve for exactly like what both sides want. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, there's always going to be questions, frustration, no matter what. And that's just people working with people. Exactly. Given your age and uh, an experience in the space, uh, it reminds me of when like tech CEOs go to like the Senate to ask questions about their platforms. And they're like, so what, is, you got to log in? Yeah, what's a login? You know, like, <laughs> I'm sure you're yeah. approached by some brands that are like, we want a tiki-taki. How do you get it? We've had those conversations <laughs> probably 200 times. I'm sure it takes a little bit of sweetness and empathy with uh, a perspective yeah. that maybe is, you know, generationally not as aware as you are to uh, what's flowing in the market right now. Right. And some would say like, oh, maybe those conversations aren't necessarily great for like, let's say it's the B2B side, one call closes or anything like that. But it's really validating at the end of the day that when people are thinking the concept of how do I work with a TikTok influencer, they are actually ending up talking to us. Like, I think conceptually, mm-hmm. that's really cool, especially from where I sit and, and having grown like the identity from where it was to where it's at and, and everything else. Like we're we are in the conversation. Um, and so sometimes it's just like, huh, we, we all look at each other. That's cool. You know, that it's very heartwarming to think that. We've gotten to a point that like when someone is searching for working with a TikTok influencer, they're asking us what TikTok is. <laughs> We're like, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what we wanted to do. And like with, when working with brands, I think this is a cool tidbit of info too. We can tell pretty off the bat, um, like let's say a demo form comes in and someone wants to chat about pricing or platform, anything of that caliber. 
I'd say it takes about like six seconds or so to have a very good understanding of where the conversation is going to go. And having a sample size of a thousand plus, and, and we look at them all as a team almost every single day, it's pretty clear where like just by a landing page and then where the social media buttons are on the landing page and how we kick through right away, you can scroll the landing page, kick to the Instagram and kick to the TikTok. And now you're building a triangle of perception and we can tell, okay, are we going to talk to a marketing manager or maybe a social media marketing manager? Are we going to talk to their specialist? Are we going to talk to their CMO? Are they that size, whether it's big or small? And um, some brands that really, really do influencer marketing well, for them, they have more of a Gen Z team um, or millennial team, and their products are based towards a younger audience, and they understand how much of a big value and opportunity influencer marketing is. And there's not a lot of explaining on those calls. It's kind of like, hey, here's us. Nice to meet you guys. We'd love to partner. Whereas some older product and service lines, we know going in, it's like kind of crack your hands a little bit. It's like, all right, influencer marketing 101, let's go. <laughs> And we love those conversations. But it's it's what we've, you know, it's almost like an academic world that we've written for ourselves and that we're continuing to write in our own voice. That's awesome. A quick question on what you just said with certain brands. Do you have a certain brand or even company that you look up to that you think does really good work with influencer marketing and can specifically get to like Gen Z, millennial or whoever they're you know, age group or target market is? If I was in the room back there with like, you know, the whole other team and they heard that question, I think everyone would raise their hand and know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> and for no reason, well, for many reasons, but no real reason do I love the brand Olipop. I'm obsessed with Olipop. Yes. What's your favorite and flavor? I've never had it, Mackenzie. No, really? I've never had Olipop. Oh ever. my gosh. And guess what? I'm a huge bubble water guy. But I'm actually oh. like, I'm incredibly brand loyal to the experience of the brand okay. Bubbly and Waterloo for a plethora of other reasons, though <laughs> I've never even followed. I don't even know what the social pages of my favorite Bubbly Waters are. But anytime, anytime we think about like an ICP fit or like who's doing amazing work in this space, my mind always goes to the Bubbly Water Olipop. And they, That's awesome. they wanted a Gen Z audience. They knew that. From my observations, they go for a uh, a later Gen Z, early millennial, female demographic with decent buying power that mm -hmm. wants something new. And just by looking at their brand and what influencers they work with, I think that I'm able to actually like reverse engineer how I look at their marketing team and like I can draw out their ICP because they're doing it so well with influencer marketing. And their team is very transparent with what they're doing and how they're working with influencers. They do a lot of fun activation-esque things on TikTok. They send their um, social media marketing team to go sit courtside at a game in like an Olipop outfit, which is like yes. funny. I don't know. It's just like, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I have to agree. I love their beverages. <laughs> I know. I love your like, I love this brand. I don't participate in this brand because I'm loyal to other brands, but I love the brand and how they, <laughs> I love their brand. That's even better. Yeah. I remember when the founder was on Shark Tank and it was a completely different product and oh. look and everything. I think it was more in the space of like a kombucha-esque mm -hmm. kind of thing. And like for me, cans work, especially when you're a consumer, like looking at them. So 
I love that you said Olipop for a number of reasons, but I agree their branding and them doing events and even showing up at, I think they did like a Coachella feature with people Mm -hmm. who went there and all of that. They have done such a good job with like Gen Z, millennial. I mean, my mom's even drinking it. So, but when you look at it, is it organic or is it organically planted? They're a good example of a team that understood the long tail impact Mm-hmm. of influencer marketing and said, let's put the seeds in the ground early. Let's start strong. And then let's allow for that like organic waterfall to begin. And I think yeah. now they're just, they're winning in the waterfall sector just because there's so much overflow. Yeah. Um, but I think that it was very strategically placed and played by like a great team of Gen Z individuals. And I like, I love when Gen Z teams run like consumer packaged goods. Cause like, yeah. I just feel like I relate to that like how hard it is to do that as a team. And it just like, to me, it's so fun, the work that they can do because they have a physical entity to play with. And there's so much you can do with that. Um, Nick, you'll, yeah, yeah. You'll, I think you're going to laugh at this one. I was in the Target recently. This goes back to like how I don't actually participate. But I was in Target like two weeks ago <laughs> and I was like stocking up on tons of bubble water of a different brand. <laughs> And Waterloo or bubbly? Yeah, yeah, it was the latter in the moment. But these girls were standing there and they were like looking and they had a cart and it was empty. And they they were like standing in front of the Olipop. And on the left, Olipop is like a Olipop competitor. They definitely all like, you know, battle to get next to each other. Yeah. And they're like talking they're like, oh, Olipop, <laughs> like kind of in like the consideration phase. And I looked at them and I was like, it's the sickest brand ever. Like it is so <laughs> sick. And they were like, really? I was like you need to get it. And they looked at me, they're like sold. And they put like a couple of them in their cart. And I walked away like whistling and I was like, job done. What's interesting is I thought of a water brand too, when you asked that question, Mackenzie, that's doing it way different and way weird. And we've talked about them a couple of times on the podcast, but Liquid Death is oh, very- yeah. liquid, I knew you were going to say that. Yes. Yeah. Liquid yes. Death has just this total revolution on- water and hydration like they sort of took all the stuff that's like oh water's supposed to be clean and pristine and you're on a sailboat and you're you know like in a bathing suit in a lake or something nope. and they're like no we're just gonna make this aggressively crazy and yes. fun like the most well done challenger brand in the cpg game in in years in my opinion yeah they are so correctly challenger and then their distribution just everything about them is fantastic they're a little grunge for me from like a personal affinity level like i'm fine with it i I like the brand i don't really i like refill my water bottle like out of the fridge and stuff but they crush yeah Yeah. it took me a while to recognize what it even was in the market like when i would see their cans i think just my old brain instantly was like oh it's gonna be like monster energy drinks or something like when I would see him in the store, I'd be like, oh, look yeah. at that. And it took me until like investigating that the brand is literally just spring water. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. Do you guys want to know a really cool story about liquid death from my perspective? Yes. So when so I was living in school in Chicago and then the minute that school went online for COVID, I was supposed to graduate like a few months later. So I was a senior when um, the news came out and when COVID began. So the next day, um, that night, Dylan and I spoke because like, hey, are you in LA? Like, maybe I'll come out there or whatever. Do you know what's going on? He says, no, but I have a few friends that live in Tampa. Like, I'm just going to go down there. It's like warm and there's a beach and there's like couches to sleep on. So I was like, all right, cool. He's like, yeah, meet me in there in the morning. So I took the next flight out. 
long story short, we end up like moving down to Tampa, Florida with one duffel bag each. We didn't know anybody. And we were walking down the beach like a couple of days in and a bunch of like this YouTube group that we knew through the grapevine from Los Angeles was just on the beach. We're like, oh, this is cool. What, what, what are you guys doing here? They're like, oh, we're from here. We're like, oh, we, we're now here. Um, and so we ended up like kind of just joining into their friend group and they all did a lot of pieces like content across every social media. And so they have a house that a bunch of them live in um, down here right by the beaches. And so this is three years ago. So we would go over there and there would be pallets of liquid death. And these kids are like fantastic, like skimboarders. They build skate ramps that do loops. Like they are very amazing, like daring individuals. And that's their whole brand online. And they would just get pallets sent to like, oh yeah, like our buddies, you know, we know that the team that makes these, like they just seed us packages. Like they just send them for free. And within like a month, that's all we ever drank was just, it was just always around. There's so much of it and it was so cold and refreshing and like everyone would tag it. And then that was, we, I thought I was the only person that had ever heard about liquid death outside of this small circle of friends. And then three years later, it's the billion dollar brand. And so I think back to the Olipop example, is it natural or is it strategically placed? Mm. And it's like, it's the long tail of placing the product where it needs to be in the hands yeah. of the right people that match the identity of the brand. Because someone that's back in the day, or even now, someone that's getting you know, paid or whether it's seeding promotion or a bunch of liquid death, that person matches the liquid death brand, right? They oh, did yes. a lot of strategies to get to that <laughs> point. That person is not going to be the same person that is getting a box of Olipop sent with like a bow and a ribbon and a handwritten letter. <laughs> no, it's very, very different, very it's different brand. Very different. And but guess what? Me as an individual, I could actually draw exactly what each person looks like. I could tell you yeah. so many things about each of those people. And that is how strong these brands are because mm-hmm. these brands have utilized the right influencers, the right consumers, the right people to build their brand with them. And that's the real story of it all is like, how can you do that over time to actually identify in a market that is so saturated, right? Water in a can. Yeah. I heard it before. Liquid death right. rocks, bubble water in a can that like has some cool stuff in it with cool, I don't know, cool designs. I've It's been done before. I love all that pop. So I don't know. This kind of is like the antithesis of the whole conversation here, right? It's like, how does that long tail effect come into play? Is it strategy? Is it random? If it's strategy, what strategic steps are needed to be taken and how long does this really take? And that's like kind of what we're building for is to allow for that at a massive scale, maybe for Olipop, but for everyone that wants to join the market and have an experience like Olipop. We want to give them a chance and we want to give them the tools and the technology necessary to launch campaigns as impactful as an Olipop. We have one more segment for you. We ask these three questions to everyone who comes on the show. Uh, and they're more about you Ooh. personally and not about uh, your business and your uh, success so far. Uh, so the first question is, what have you done recently for the very first time? Oh, fantastic question. Cooked chicken on the stove. Whoa. Yeah. That's a moment. That's oh, yeah. definitely a moment. Yeah, right? I'm not a I'm not a big cook. The whole culinary equations went over my head growing up. It was kind of just like microwave stuff and everything. And so friends of mine and I, we've created a, a cooking club, a weekly cooking club, where we do like very intense 
meals like intense to me to them it's kind of just like whatever and like i'm there and i'm like visualizing everything i'm like measuring it out in my head uh, i'm learning how to cook and so yeah chicken that was that was a big one for me that's fantastic uh as someone who cooks a lot i remember a time when i didn't and it's a cool transformation next question is if you were invited to a show and tell right now what item do you think you would bring and why I wrote a 326 page book when I was 16 years old. Because <laughs> let's say the person is in high school or something. I'd say, I want you, you can read this. If you want, you can read everything about what 16 year old me envisioned my life was in that moment and my worldview and everything else and my interpersonal relationships. And then you can ask me any questions. But at the core, the lesson there would be that like, no matter what happens in life, People are always just people and you got to stay true to your true self because I'm very, very similar to that 16 year old self that I once was. I'm just slightly older now. I like that. Shed a little bit of perspective and wisdom and keep it consistent while evolving. I like it. Uh, our, Our final question is, if you were to meet a younger version of you, what advice do you think you would give? Keep going crazy. (laughs) <laughs> like it would just be like those three probably like keep going I would I would keep it very short it would be like a very quick interaction maybe like a quick what's up it's gonna be great keep riding keep going keep going crazy pedal to the metal don't stop now you wouldn't want to disrupt the space-time continuum in any way <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm actually imagining it like in the first floor of my library of my university, like stressed out at two in the morning after studying for like eight hours straight, just like, this is never going to work. My life is going nowhere. And then just like current time me walking up and just being like, keep going crazy. And then walking off. I think it would have just been like, yes. wow. Yeah. 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 I, okay. Yes. I must keep going crazy. Well, I think that's all we got. Unless there's anything else that you want to plug or or ways that listeners can get in touch with you or Gluey. For creators, our app is available on iOS um, and the Google Play stores. Type in Gluey, G-L-E-W-E-E, and it'll be the first to pop up. Uh, For brands, if you're looking to experience influencer marketing with the fastest and easiest platform, you can head to www.gluey.com. And you can click on get started and or book a demo to speak to someone from our amazing team. If you want to reach out to me, you can just add me on LinkedIn, just type in Christian Brown, and then maybe Gluey after that. I'm not sure. Um, and then message me literally anything. I will quite literally respond to anything. Uh, and any questions, feel free to reach out. Yeah, on LinkedIn. Sweet. That's that. That's all I got for there. Love it. Thanks so much for coming on, Christian. Today's been fantastic. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys uh, for having me. And I'm glad we could veer off, have a few good laughs, talk <laughs> everything, marketing platforms, bubble water, and uh, chicken. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, you're such a thoughtful and forward-thinking young man. Congrats again on 30 Under 30. That's amazing. Yes. Thank you guys so much. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build The Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been The Brand Collective.